it's good to be back home. I love hearing a choir. How about you? And boy, choir, you did outstanding this morning. And truly, the name of the Lord has been exalted this morning. Did you notice that? In our music, our singing, our congregational songs, there's no other name given amongst men whereby you must be saved. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior before you die, you will not have a chance at heaven. I just want to tell you that because that's what God says. And God's heaven is by God's way. Amen and amen. How foolish it is for man to try to connive and conceive his own ways to heaven when God said, I, Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Get in line. And I'm glad I'm in line. How about you? I'm in line to see the King of Kings. And I have a reservation in heaven. Boy, it's good to be home. Thank you, honey, for picking that choir number for us to come back to. Wow. And then the quartet. Good stuff. Good stuff. And congregational say, and then the orchestra, they did all right too, didn't they? Don't you love that? That's one thing I miss. I did not get to hear an orchestra. I didn't get to blow my horn while I was gone. <laughs> you can take that more than one way. <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning as the name of Jesus has been exalted. We uh, have people looking at our church to, to purchase. And as people come into our church, we want them to see Jesus Christ. Amen. We want you as a guest to see Jesus Christ. We want you to feel comfortable because he came to seek and to save every one of us. Praise the Lord for that. But this week, Brother uh, Doug Doffett sent sent us out an email and said that there was a particular organization coming looking at our church. (laughs) And I said, oh, my We need to pray. This morning as I came in to do the preliminaries, get some things set up and stuff like that, I I thought, I bet you they won't be interested in our church. Because you see, when you come into Westside, we've got crosses on the pews. We have crosses on the wall. We have the truth on the wall. And our steeple out there tells you that we believe in the cross. Amen to that? And I thought, I hope they saw Jesus when they came in here to see our church. We're praying for God's will to be done. We want to reflect Jesus Christ because, by the way, the church is not a building. It is us. And we want people to see Jesus Christ in our lives. And I was thinking of our new building. Isn't it exciting, Larry? Ah, You can say, I've had vacation, so I'm a little wild this morning. All right, so... Just bear with me. Guests that are here, I'm not always like this, all right? So, I know. It's that sunshine, you know? It's that vitamin D that you get. Man, by the way, you had more vitamin D here than we had there, I think. It rained almost every day in Phoenix, Arizona. We had a downpour that my son-in-law and I were out playing tennis, and we got caught in it. And when it rains there, when they say flash flood warnings, they mean flash flood warnings. And we're under this little three foot by six foot or four foot by eight foot, whatever it was. It seemed like it was a two by two uh, shelter that we were under there holding our tennis rackets as it was hailing and raining in Sun City West. 
I was thinking of other names that I could call Sun City West while we were there. But it was a great time, great time. So I don't even know what we were talking about before I got off on all that. What were we talking about? Sunshine. Jesus, amen. Jesus is our sunshine, amen. And he can bring sunshine into our soul this morning. And I hope that he has brought sunshine into your soul and that God, through the music, has prepared your heart for the message. I was I was thinking about uh, uh, our building. That's what it was, our building over there. I, I'm so thankful for the vision of, of Jerry and your tenacity to say, you know what, we need to get that cross up as soon as we can. Isn't that right? And so, brother, uh, who's the old guy that does the stonework? Larry? Larry? No, not Larry. Larry. I know Larry's old, but Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd. Larry's old. They're all old guys around here. <laughs> we were showing the building, and here's our 81-year-old bricklayer out there bricking up the columns and everything. Oh, he bricked all that wall in. I mean, just an amazing. And some folks helped, and praise the Lord for that. I think it was another old guy that helped him. Wasn't it, wasn't it Phil that helped, helped him put that on? And then we got the cross up. And in a few weeks, we're going to get the steeple up. And on that steeple, Larry, do you know how high the tip of that teep, the teep, yeah, the tip of that steeple is? Yeah. 50 feet? Well, it's more than 40. Because you got... Six feet and eight and 13 feet. Six and 13 is 20. It's right at 50 feet. 50 feet. It's going to stand above the tree lines. And on all four sides are a litted, litted, lighted cross. Litted cross. (laughs) You don't come to Westside Baptist Church to learn English. Let me tell you that. All right. I had some folks after the first service come up and say, you know, Pastor, that wasn't quite the right word. So, and uh, so we're going to have four lighted crosses that will be seen all around, that, miles around, miles around. Pray that that goes in well and that, that the, the Lord will be honored and glorified. We want people to see Jesus Christ, not only in our buildings, but in our lives. Amen. So let's go to our, our attitudes. Oh, preacher, why do we have to go to our attitudes? You know, we got to get rid of our stinking, rotten attitudes, don't we? And get the right kind of attitudes. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to finish up the eighth of the Beatitudes. As Jesus, in his second year of ministry, climbs up on this mountain, a whole herd of people called disciples or followers or learners. Not all of them were saved, but people are curious. Maybe you're here this morning, curious. What is this Jesus all about? I've believed in Jesus all of my life, but I didn't know him until I accepted him as my Savior. And so it's good to be curious and discover truth. And so these men come up on this mountain and they hear a message that is radical. Blessed. The Beatitudes. Eight of them. The word blessed means happy. What makes you happy? You know, most times, most, the average Christian is putting his happiness in his things rather than in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when he uses this word blessed, it is a happiness that this world does not know about, but it is a happiness. It is a blessedness. It is such a joy to know Jesus Christ. 
And then to have the right attitudes. Because he says, blessed are. And it doesn't make sense. He starts off with poor in spirit. And then mourning. My. That's an oxymoron. Happy and mourned. You ever had tears of joy? You know, that's to, to understand that even, even when I do something wrong, and I don't, I don't like to do things wrong, but when I mourn for my sin, because Jesus Christ lives inside of me, and it's a reality of my born-again life, there's joy there because of the presence of Jesus Christ. If you're not brought under the conviction of your sin, there's something wrong. Someone came up to me and brought a scenario before the services. Says, well, will a Christian go to heaven if they're in this kind of a lifestyle? And I said, well, I said, you need to ask yourself truly, uh, is that lifestyle in a Christian not in the same category? You see, when you're born again, God changes your life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin. We don't do the things wrong. So we still have our flesh. We're still, we, even though we're born again, we're a child. We're growing and we're developing. And there are so many things today that God continues to show me on. But that, that can bring joy in my life because God is working in my heart. He's helped me to realize where I need to be and where I'm going and all these types of things. And so as we look at this, we understand that these are, this is a, a biblical worldview. Or if you want to say it's a heavenly view. Maybe we shouldn't even do with a biblical, the idea of a biblical worldview. Maybe we should just talk about it as a heavenly view. Because God does say to dwell in the heavenlies. This world is not my home. And what he brings out here is so counterculture to the society of the Romans and of the church and even of America today. And he goes through these things. And we've put in your uh, bulletin there the uh, bookmark about the Beatitudes. And, and Cheryl, thank you. I don't know who designed this, who did all this, who put it all together. Uh, but uh, she's just smiling. I'll take all the credit I can get. But uh, it is well done. Thank you for whoever helped you with this. And everything is a marvelous job. Because I told her, I said, you know what? When I finish these Beatitudes, which is today's the end of the Beatitudes, though it's not the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they're so easy to forget, aren't they? They're not natural. They're not natural. And so I want to put this with my prayer journal that every day I am reminded of what my attitude ought to be. And by the way, happiness is in your attitude. It's not in your things. Happiness in an attitude. And he tells you what kind of attitude we ought to have, what kind of characteristics that uh, is the qualities of a Christian life. And uh, these are admirable qualities. And he talks about this poor and this and being meek and this hungry and thirsting for righteousness and being merciful and being pure in heart and being peacemakers. And some of this might, uh, if you were to think of that peacemaker, might have fit into Eugene, Oregon. But then he goes on to the last one. And as I read the last one, I'm taken back in some degree. And this last one doesn't fit our mindset. It doesn't fit the popular preaching today of something good is going to happen to you or to raise a crowd. Jesus Christ stands up and he says in verse 10. Now listen, as we read these three verses, verse 10, 11, and 12, notice what he says here. And I want you to notice, do you notice anything about this last beatitude that is different 
or the same as the others. Verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What do you notice different about this eighth beatitude than the seven previous beatitudes? There are similarities. What's different? All right. All right. There's a response of somebody else to you. Good point. Excellent. I didn't get that one. That's a good one. How about something else? It's a good thing when people do things bad to you for his sake. Okay? Don't expect just because you now say that everybody's going to love you. In fact, just the opposite. Yeah. Okay? Do you notice the length of it? Yeah. There, there's three verses here. Three verses. How many verses are the other ones? One. Three verses. Also, do you notice how many blesseds there are in this one? Two. There are, this is a double blessed attitude. Wow. Now, he starts off poor in spirit. There's is the kingdom of God. And he says here, being persecuted is, is the kingdom of God. So he starts with the kingdom of heaven and he ends with the kingdom of heaven. But I want you to notice this doesn't fit into our thinking. And as we get into this, this idea this morning, folks, listen to me. As, as we, we, we look at persecuted, that doesn't fit my thinking. Well, something good should be happening. The thing is, is what we call good. In fact, the Bible says you're going to call a blessing a curse and a curse a blessing. You're going to miss what God has. And there's a realization of this persecution we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what is the response to this persecution. And we're going to talk about the reward of this persecution. But you need to understand it. And I'm going to tell you something. Most of us aren't there. I mean, I just came back from 10 days of vacation. I, I love being pampered. I really did. I didn't do much. Except gain five pounds, four pounds, four pounds. I mean, don't, I mean, we were in paradise. All these resorts around us and, and uh, uh, golf courses and everything. It was paradise. I mean, we love to be pampered. See, most of us don't like persecution. But he says there's a blessing that you don't understand in being persecuted. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, we need to pray for understanding. Right? 
In fact, this morning in my devotions, I was reading in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, after the resurrection. I tell you, I really enjoyed my devotions this morning. Verse 23 is the chapter on the crucifixion of how Jesus died and suffered for our sins. And then chapter 24, uh, I like to read the last chapter of a book when it talks about the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus is walking with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't understand who he was. Yet he's walking with them. And then there was a verse, and I put this down as one of my memory verses for next year and one of my goals, starting now, to pray on a daily basis that God would open up my understanding. And he said, he says that he opened up their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now, why don't we pray that right now? Father, I pray that you might help us to understand the Scriptures. Lord, this isn't just a preacher getting up here and speaking. I'm nothing, but your word is everything. And the spirit of the living God that works today in our services and can enable us, Lord, you help us to understand what it is that you have for us. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God says if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Don't doubt it. James chapter 1. We want to get understanding. And so I know we got a potluck afterwards. And I got an email. Boy, it's, you know, staff needs to be careful about telling me what they're going to do. They're going to let Sunday school out five minutes before 12 so they can get in line first. Now, they're doing that so we don't have long lines when we get out. And in my evil mind on vacation, I'm thinking, we're going to let out at 10 minutes to 12. <laughs> But let's not get out until we get it. Amen? Let's get it. And I know there might be some distractions at the end. Let's make sure we pay attention all the way through. Will you do that? You know, when I preach, and and oftentimes I say, Lord, help me to understand so I can help others. We went to a conference yesterday that was outstanding. Wasn't it, Larry? It was a wonderful conference. And on Friday night, they talked about DNA. Michael, you would have loved this conference. (gasps) Blown away. And hear this profound truth made so simple that a child could understand. Isn't that right? I was, I was, isn't that right, Norm? <laughs> Since I'm so intelligent. No, listen, it was wonderful, wasn't it, Norm? It was just marvelous, true. It was wonderful. And we got it. It's my prayer that we'll get it this morning. Now, some things are difficult to get. To be happy in persecution. Jose, does that make sense? No, I want things to work out right. I want people to like me. Remember when I preached on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And Paul said, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Remember when I preached this message, some of you might not, but I remember it very vividly. I got up and admitted, I'm not there. I'm not there. Take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. I'm not there. And I remember going home from that message and saying, God, will you help me to understand this? And it was almost like a nugget from heaven came down into my soul. And he says, you know what? To help you to understand this. To help you to understand this, it is necessary 
for you to go through these things so that you can learn who I am and who you are. And I don't know about you, but I want to know who he is. Now, I think I know who I am. But it's through those things that we understand who we really are. When I'm made aware of my sin and my failure, Paul says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And I understood that it's through these trials and through these struggles and through the things that come into our lives that we can gain greater ownership and understanding of who He is and what He has done for us and where we're going. And so it is. Understanding about persecution. God can help us to understand that persecutions has some identity with it. And so let's look at this. The, uh, the reason or the, uh, the reality of persecutions. The Bible says in John 15. Now this is the night before he is going to be crucified. This is a part of the upper room discourse. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are the upper room discourse. Jesus in the upper room having the Passover, talking to disciples, giving them their final instructions. And they're missing it. And in fact, in that room, they're arguing, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They are so worldly minded. They're caught up here following Jesus for what they could get out of Jesus. And so he tells them, can you imagine the night before he's going to be crucified? He tells them, if the world hates you. I mean, these are not popular messages. Would you agree? How many times in church did you go in there? Hey, accept Jesus and the world's going to hate you. Did you hear that message, Mike? It's good to have your mom here this morning. Amen. You're going to be persecuted. He's up on this mountain trying to get a crowd. That's not a good message. It would not be a popular message. And he's telling his disciples, the world's going to hate you. You know that it hated me. And tomorrow morning, you're going to see him crucified on the cross. If ye were of this world, the world would love his own. Why are we trying to be popular in this world? The Bible says, if you love the world, you hate the father. You can't serve two masters. If ye were of this world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world. You see, to be worldly minded is death. To be caught up in the things of this world. The world loves its own. It pampers its own. It takes care of its own. And in fact, when this message was presented, Caesar was the emperor, and as Caesar Augustus was, was the emperor, and, 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 and uh, people had to take on their business licenses. As a business, all you had to do was sign a decree, and I forget the name of the decree. Maybe, Jerry, you remember what the name of the decree was a decree that you had to sign to get your business license. You had to do it every year, and all you had to do is testify that Caesar is Lord. All you had to do is sign a Caesar's Lord. And I'm sure there were many there that saying, you know what? I, you know, it's just signing a piece of paper. But there were blood-bought believers that believed in Jesus Christ and they knew that there was only one Lord and it's Jesus Christ. 
And they could not sign that paper. And they lost their businesses. And oftentimes it ended up not just losing their businesses, but they lost their lives. As they were fed to the lions and the Colosseums and the slaughters of, of Christians while Nero would blame the Christians for burning Rome down because he wanted a popularity uh, uh, contest. And Christians were becoming a little more vocal. You can imagine that would challenge your faith, wouldn't it? If you were faced the lion's den or being burned to the stake, or they take you and put tar all around you, tie you to a pole, and put you all around with all of your family and friends and people from church, and you were there, and they come and they take torches, and they would light you so that you could light the circus so that Nero could enjoy his circus. We have no idea what those early Christians went through to bring us Jesus Christ today. I'm going to tell you something, my friends. It's real. And he tells them, he says, the world's going to hate you. If you're of the world, the world would love you. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the world that I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my... if if. They have kept my sayings. They will keep yours also. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now I want you to notice something. It is a godly trait to suffer for Jesus Christ. It is an ungodly trait not to suffer. In fact, Wesley was so concerned that maybe he wasn't testifying enough of Jesus Christ. You know, people don't want to witness because they're afraid somebody's not going to like them. Has that ever entered your mind? Well, they might not like what I'm saying. Do you know what the alternative of a person not accepting Jesus Christ is? If God would give us a greater understanding of hell, do you think it would change our witnessing? Now, this persecution is being brought on by righteousness, right living, living for God. It is not, uh, per se, uh, those that are just objectionable. I mean, there can be people who are out there that are having a chip on their shoulder and they just want to, to, to create persecution. It's not looking for persecution. Persecution will find you. That's why it's in the passive sense. It's not you creating it in and of yourself. It's people looking for you to persecute you and they'll find you because your light shines in a dark world. When it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen, when people see that light, they want to extinguish the light. So the devil does. Let your light so shine. It's not because you're difficult to live with. Oh, I'm suffering persecution because you're just being a, a rear. I had to go through a few words there to wonder which one was acceptable there. Seriously lacking wisdom. You know, I love this conference we went to and it was, it was all about creation and how the obvious facts and evidence supports a creator because we have a creation, we have design, we have a designer, we have architect because we have an architecture, we have architecture because we have an architect. You see, we have a watch because we have a watchmaker. It makes sense, doesn't it? Duh. And, I, and then at the end of the thing, he said, he said this. He says, you know what? We're not going out there bashing the evolutionist. They have their philosophy. We have our philosophy. Theirs is a worldview. Ours is a heavenly view. 
Ours is a biblical view. We base truth upon the Bible rather than on what man says or what man conceives. And he said this. He says, when we go out there, though, he says, we go out there in the spirit of meekness and fear. He says, we don't seek to please men. We tell them the truth. Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So I'm not talking about being fanatical, though this world will call us fanatics, even though we don't even act near like a duck fan does, or overzealous. Those who are, you know, in fact, by the way, do you know people want to extinguish your light because they say, you're just being fanatical. You see, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't call this fanaticism. Is that the right word to use? Think about that. Mm. Throw stones, cause-oriented, political. No, it's because you are living right. You're being who God is. And we can study our Lord so that we see how He lived His life. And did He suffer persecution? Oh, my. He's telling about that here in these passages. Luke 9, 26. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me. I don't know about you, but this verse haunts me. Are there times when I do not open my mouth, when I don't step away from a party that I should not be involved with or say something when a crass joke or something else is taking place because I'm ashamed of my Lord? Or I want to fit in, I want to be popular? Well, I don't want to make waves. You know what's happened to the church is they've gone into the closet and everything else has been coming out of the closets. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my word of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. And you think of it. I've listened to that tape on, on the crucifixion of Christ, how he was stripped naked and received verbal abuse and physical abuse. And he was not ashamed of me. And he died on that cross and he took all of my sins upon him. Thank the Lord. Why are we not willing to open our mouths and share? Faith? Well, we don't want to be, we don't want to make, no, you don't, you're, you're, we're becoming politically correct and Christianity is lowering its standards to fit in. In fact, a popular preacher this week or last week stated, well, we just, we want to be careful about what we preach out there and what we say because we don't want to ruffle feathers. Did you read about that in the register guard? I read that and I thought, my soul. The Bible says if you're not for me, you're against me. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you seek to please men, you cannot please me. Why are we trying to be popular or fit in? This world is not our home. So we see the reality and the reason of this is, is because of righteousness and godly living. Paul lived a godly life and he's talking to the Thessalonians and, and there was persecution going on. This is being ramped up now. Nero's in, uh, in leadership and things are being ramped up. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Man, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be moved away because I'm thrown in prison. Don't be shaken because people are being taken to the lion's den. Take your stand. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you think that took guts for them to stand up? Oh, it sure did. It sure did. 
It takes guts to preach. And here Paul is preaching. And I, I, I'm reminded of a story that I read this week on Savonarola. How many have ever heard of Savonarola? Okay, one. <laughs> From Italy. Uh, from Italy. There we go. We had a good talk with our guests that are here this morning and being from Michigan and, and all. We, we always know those names that are Polish, Italian, and, you know, those different things like that. And we saw swap different Italian jokes and Polish jokes back and forth. I had a lot of time until it became politically incorrect. Savonarola, uh, before Martin Luther. How many have heard of Martin Luther? Ah. Can we talk about his predecessors? There were people just like the apostles who were crucified on the, uh, the martyrs' uh, uh, tables and wherever it might have been in prison and all those things that forged the life that, and the, the, the uh, path for us to enjoy today. So there were those that came before the Protestant Reformation. Savonarola... Uh, uh, was one of those great reformers in the history of the church in his powerful condemnation of personal sin and ecclesiastical corruption that Italian preachers paved the way for the Protestant Reformation, which began a few years after his death. His preaching was a voice of thunder, writes one biographer. And his denunciation of sin was so terrible that the people who listened to him uh, went about the streets half-dazed, bewildered and speechless. His congregations were often in tears that the whole building resounded with their sobs and their weeping. But the people and the church could not long abide such a witness. And for preaching uncompromised righteousness, Savonarola was convicted of heresy and he was hanged, and his body was burned. You've heard of John Huss? John Huss was burned alive, burned to death, because of his desire to get the Bible in the hands of people. Wycliffe, we all heard of Wycliffe Society. Uh, what was Wycliffe's first name? Uh, uh, was it John? John Wycliffe? He also was burned because of his desire for the Bible into the people's language. And Martin Luther stood up, posted his 95 theses, and people started saying, we've had enough of not knowing what the Bible says. We want to read the Bible. We want to find out truth. And Martin Luther stood up and he says, it's salvation by grace alone. Amen to that. Not perverted and deluded by the doors of the church. Let's get the Bible and read it and discover it. But there have been many people who have been persecuted and lost their lives because of their stand for Jesus Christ. Luke 6.26 Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the... What kind of prophets? False prophets. Now here in this passage it talks about the true prophets. The true prophets. And you think about it. Jesus Christ was likened unto those true prophets when people asked him, or when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? In Philippians chapter 1, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also what? To suffer. You know, some people think that just coming to church on Sunday night is suffering. 
Well, I got to get up and read my Bible. I got to tell someone about Jesus. You know what? We have no idea what suffering is. We've become so passive in our Christianity today in America. But I'll tell you what, all over the world, there are people who are dying for their faith. In fact, they're saying there are more martyrs today than in this last century, I think, than in all the centuries previous or something like that. As I read the book of martyrs, I know there's a, there's a time where we might have a, a Sunday that honors the martyrs and, and uh, some things. Is that what's on our docket down the road? Is that coming up this year or next year? November, in November is uh, a Sunday that we'll be honoring the martyrs and, and all. We, we thank the Lord for those who, uh, who came across the Oregon Trail huh, to give us Oregon. We thank the Lord that Jesus left heaven, died on the cross, and those apostles and disciples who, amidst all of the difficulties and struggles, Matthew 10, 34, Think not that I have come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And you know, when Jesus Christ came, the gospel divides. Those who accept Jesus Christ, the light from the darkness. It's not talking about grayness. Light from the darkness. So here is these ideas of the reasons or the reality of persecution. Now the responses. <laughs> responses. I don't know about you, but when people lie about me or revile me, speak all kinds of nasty things or smack me or whatever, guess what I want to do? I want to smack them back unless they're bigger than me. All right. <laughs> I wish I'd learned that when I was younger. <laughs> I remember one time getting into a fight, and my brother and I were both there. And I says, brother, help me. He says, I didn't start it. <laughs> Not looking for a fight, but fights will come. But you know what? We don't join into the reviling. We don't join into the lies. We don't join into that. That's the wrong response. The other wrong response, oh, poor me, look at people don't like me, I feel so rejected. You know this rejection idea? Man, we are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1. The King of Kings loves me. And so he says, it's not seeking revenge, it's not feeling sorry for your health. What does he tell you to do? Rejoice. And guess what that's in? It's in the imperative. It's in the imperative. He says rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now in the first service, I forgot to mention this, but in the the reality of why you're being persecuted, it's interesting, these verses in verse 10, it talks about uh, there about being persecuted. It's actually in the perfect uh, passive Perfect passive, the perfect tense, is where something happens in your life and there's ongoing results. We say that's the tense of salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's eternal results. Amen to that. And so he uses this idea of being persecuted in that there comes a time you get persecuted and it keeps on coming. But then when he says in verse 11, he says those that persecute you, he changes the tense. He uses the same word, but he changes the tense to the aorist tense. Remember what I said about the aorist tense when we were talking about spiritual warfare, that we are in Christ? It's the idea of the aorist tense. It is a, a position. You're there. 
You act out of the callous. You uh, callous. The ca- castle. You act out of being in Christ. You are living in Christ. And what that persecution in the aorist tense says, you know what? This world is there. That's where they are. And the reason they respond out and they don't like you is because of where they are. See what I'm saying? That's interesting. Changes that. It's marvelous truth of God's word. How exacting it is in here. And then when he says rejoice, commanded, rejoice, and then be what kind of glad? Whoa! Right? How does that fit? There are three concepts. Three concepts that help you understand this. Number one, when you're persecuted, it reminds you of who you are. You are in Christ, not in the world. Can you rejoice that you're in Christ and not in the world? Amen. Number two, it tells me of where I'm going. For such is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to heaven. This world is not my home. And number three, it reminds me that there are exceeding and great rewards for those who love Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Now, getting into heaven is not a reward. Getting into heaven is a gift. You get a gift. If I give you this, you just receive it. That's what getting in heaven. Jesus Christ died. He did everything on the cross. You receive Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you received Jesus Christ? Have Jesus Christ. And so I can, I can be exceedingly glad because I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Also, it gives me the idea that, that there is a joy in my life because I am doing it for His sake. Not my sake, but for His sake. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason Jesus Christ died on that cross was for your sins and for my sins. And He did it with joy because He understood the end of what was taking place. And that is your salvation. Now, to understand persecution, you can have joy if you understand the end. People get so caught up with, well, that's not just. Well, what about this? And what about this, um, this, this girl that was just brutally molested and raped and murdered? Where's the God of heaven? The God of heaven is there. But what takes place here is not the end of the story. There's a heaven. There's an accounting day. We have sin in this world and sin does its butchery. Man makes those choices. But there's a heaven and you and I are going to stand before the just king someday and give an account of our lives. And I can rejoice that I have a heaven to look forward to. Now listen to me. As I read this verse this week in my devotions, it really spoke to my heart. Uh, In this passage here, it was talking about the raising of the dead and the casting out of the demons and the miracles that the Lord is doing. And many of us say, man, if I could cast out demons, I would see the power of God. Or if I was at the Red Sea, I would see the power of God. Let me tell you something. It didn't work out that well for the Israelites, did it? And the Lord is saying to his disciples, notwithstanding in this uh, rejoice not. Don't, Don't be rejoicing in that you're able to do these magnificent things. 
He says that the spirit are subject unto this unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Wow. That conference, I, I think Norm and I, we talked about this a little bit as we went to this conference and we're we're looking at pictures from the Hubble uh, uh, space uh, uh, telescope and seeing the vastness of God's creation. And as we're seeing this, all this magnificence of what God created, and the verse came to my mind, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That God loves me so much to send his son to die on the cross so that I can go to heaven. You see why I can rejoice? So he says, don't rejoice over casting out just demons and things like that. Rejoice. You've got a home in heaven. And therefore, we can rejoice when persecution comes because we know who we are. We know where we're going. We know why we're here. Amen. And when we get there, when you get there, now getting there is Jesus. That's a gift. But are there going to be rewards when you get there? Yes. Should we be motivated by rewards? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus talks about it quite a bit in the Bible. If we're not to be motivated by it, why would he tell you about it? In fact, he says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. This world is not my home. He says, our light affliction. It's interesting that Paul talks about our light affliction. How many think Paul went through light afflictions? Which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, there's a prescription for disaster. Look at the things that are seen. We look not at the things which are seen, but, we, but at the things which are not seen. Living in the heavenlies. I think we need to change our, our worldview to a heavenly view. For the things which are seen are what? But the things that are not seen are eternal. According to the grace of God, which is given unto you as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation and another eldeth thereon. But every, let every man take heed how he builds upon this foundation. There's no other foundation. Uh, uh, no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You get Jesus Christ as your Savior. You get born again. You accept. You put your faith in that foundation. Then he says, now take heed. Take heed. Westside Baptist Church, take heed. We're in a building program and we're taking heed how we build that building. How much more should we take heed how we're building the life that God has given to us and the time that He has given to us left? Take heed how you build thereon. Because, now if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for what day, that day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. God's going to sort out how we built, what we did, what are our motives, how we've lived our lives. Whether we've allowed excuses to keep us from going forward, whether we've allowed the weather from taking its toll on our lives, and, or whether whatever we've allowed. Take heed. Oh, I tell you what. Take heed. What sort it is, 
If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive what? A reward. I don't know about you, but the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. You know, all the time we were in Sun City West and we were looking at these beautiful golf courses and everything, and I said, man, this is paradise. I think, well, if this is paradise, what's heaven going to be like? He shall, but if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. What is he going to lose? Rewards. Because he himself shall be saved. Because, see, salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. And this is an exciting truth here. I, I don't want to squander my life. I hope that I'm in love with the Lord enough that I live my life for him. But getting into heaven is not living for him. Getting into heaven is Jesus Christ and him only. But the rewards is loving him and living for him. Yet so as by fire. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now the word bad there is not the word morally bad. It is the idea of worthless. Your bad, your sins, your punishment, your judgment for sin hung on the cross. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your sins hung on the cross. And you're not going to be judged for your sins. You're going to be judged for the life that you live after you're saved. And that's going to be, and I'm sure it's going to be the motives. It's going to be the opportunity. The Bible says, to much is given, much is required. And someday that's going to be a reality. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Can you imagine? Paul is talking to Christians. We persuade men. I don't know if I've persuaded you or not. But Paul went out there giving his, giving his life so he could persuade men the truth that eternity is coming. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. You know, I hope that today from this message you'll take home with you what you've heard. The reality, our responses, the rewards. Paul understood that. He says, I finished. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, don't you like that? The right judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Father, I pray that you'll help us now as, as this doesn't fit our philosophy our worldly philosophy. But, oh God, how it needs to come and bring courage into our soul that we're not of this world. As Jesus told Pilate, he says, if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would rise up and fight. But my kingdom is of another world. And, Father, we are of another world. And the rewards, truly, it says, these rewards are here and they're to come. We can enjoy the rewards of having eternity in our soul right now and territory of heaven through the Spirit giving us love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Lord, there are so many rewards of living a life. Father, I'm afraid that too many of us are looking for our happiness in things rather than in the right relationship 
with Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us now to gain ownership of this. Not that we wish persecution to come upon any here, but, Lord, it is a part of this world. And for some ever reason, we've bought into the mindset not to make waves. Oh, it's the devil's philosophy. It's the devil's philosophy. God, help us, Father, to be what you'd have us to be, to let our light so shine. Help us to vocalize the truth that's in our hearts. Help us to to walk with joy in our lives. Lord, we ought to be rejoicing that we have Jesus. We're on our way to heaven. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that does not have Jesus, why not, Lord, help them today to come to Jesus. Speak to their hearts. Show them their condition. And help them to understand the simple truth that Jesus is all they need to get into heaven. He purchased the price of the ticket through his shed blood on the cross. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe this morning God has opened up more understanding. Just like those disciples and following Jesus up onto that mount. I'm sure some of them, wow, that's interesting. I want to hear more. Some of them probably left. You have a choice, my friend, with information that's been given to you in truth. I'm hoping and praying that as a church we grow healthy as we gain ownership and understanding of what God says in His Word. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, the things that I talked about can only be discerned through the Spirit. And so I encourage you, come to know Jesus. You see yourself as a sinner. In fact, it didn't take much to convince me that I was a sinner. And you need a Savior. You can't get to heaven on your own good works. Why don't you just invite Him into your heart and turn your life over to Him and make Him your Savior and your Lord. You will change kingdoms, you'll change ownerships, and you'll change destinations by simply believing and trusting in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, how do I do that? Invite Him in. Come into my heart, God. Come into my heart. If you're not certain how to do that, you talk to me before we eat the potluck, that's great. However it might be. And then this morning, if God has spoken to you about your witness, and maybe about some of your fear of men versus the fear of God, then maybe act upon that and ask God to help you to grow that faith in who He is and what He wants you to do. This world needs Christians with backbone who will stand up for right. So, Lord, you work in our hearts now. I trust trust that you have. You have your perfect will and way in this invitation. Lord, as Pastor Dan prayed at the very beginning of the service, if there's any here that are not saved, help them to come to Jesus. And, Lord, for all of us here this morning, I'm sure this message could be unsettling. But, oh, the peace that passes all understanding because of who you are, because of who we are now in Christ, and because of where we're going and why we're here. Thank you, Father, for that understanding in Jesus' name. Amen.